listening to episode 202 of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. My name is Dave, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Wayne, as we continue our analysis of season one of Joss Whedon's Dollhouse, starring Eliza Dushku and Olivia Williams. We're on the early stages of summer vacation, and unfortunately, you're laid up a bit. Yep. Yeah, everyone knows uh, we've talked about my trials and tribulations, so I'm not going to go into it too much, but it's just... uh yeah, makes it for a little bit of a bummer of a summer. You know, it is what it is. It's uh, you've got your little nifty cart that you wheel yourself around on, and you know, as I said earlier, it could be worse. Yep, there's uh, there's plenty of stuff to watch on television. Before Wayne and I have our treatments, we want to remind <laughs> you we'd love to hear from you via email at sci-fi tv rewatch at gmail dot com, or you can check the website where you can leave a voicemail using the leave voicemail tab. Record your own audio clip, send us the MP3 as an attachment, or send us a tweet at Sci-Fi TV Rewatch, and we'd encourage you to consider joining the Facebook group and join the discussions there. All right, so before you and I, we each have a show we just want to talk about for a minute or so. In Sci-Fi News this week, I want to bring to the listeners' attention Spike TV's journey into scripted media. And they're doing Stephen King's novel, The Mist, which begins on Thursday, June 22nd. I have not read much Stephen King post The Stand, believe it or not. I don't know about you. I don't think I've read a Stephen King book ever, which might surprise you. Yeah. Oh, dude, you should read The Stand. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it's long. Right. Well, and that's, that's you know, like, actually, I think last summer, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to go check out a Stephen King book. I'm like, man, they're all like super long and stuff you know like so if you're just I, like i know he's good like because obviously as popular as he is you know that's not that's not for nothing um i just i don't know why i just never have read a stephen king book it's, it's not something i purposely have tried to avoid you know just yeah, well, i don't happened. know anything about the mist so i'll probably check it out but AMC's The Preacher is also returning on June 25th. That's a Sunday. And Killjoys on Sci-Fi will return Friday, June 30th. I'm really looking forward to those two, although I still got to finish Preacher season one, but I don't have far to go. Right. Uh, so I think I'm, I'm actually going to start because Pre- Preacher just looks really good. Um, I don't know why I, I never got into it before, but um, so I'm going to go. Is it on Netflix? Is that how you get? I don't up? know. I don't know. I mean, it's AMC, and I don't know what AMC's on demand looks like. Okay, but um, so I'm going to see. I'm, I'm going to start recording and uh, get caught up uh, with it, and then check out season two because it does look like pretty good. It looks like it's kind of funny too, which you know that's kind of shows right up my alley. But I'm actually yep. getting caught up right now on uh, on Dollhouse, not Dollhouse, duh, uh, <laughs> uh, Orphan Black one that the, the you know we've compared Elijah Dushku and Tatiana Maslany's kind of their acting jobs and on those two shows you know to be similar because they're playing so many different characters right oh yeah no no question but and, I never uh, watched uh, you know because I, I'd lost BBC America for a while so I never watched you know season four of Doll uh, uh Orphan Black all right, cool. Well, I haven't seen this past Saturday's episode yet. After Doctor Who, it was getting late, and I thought, ah, I'm just DVRing, and I'll watch it later. So, All right, so you wanted to say a few things about Sense8. You got caught up, finished? Yeah. What's, what's the deal there? I, I finished, uh, you know, because I was seeing all the, the blowback about it being canceled, 
and uh, obviously people were, were upset. So, you know, I and I hadn't watched it yet, so I'm kind of going at it as if, you know, you know how, like, a lot of times the showrunners kind of know, and so they they create a season finale that could serve as a series finale as well. You know, like, we talked about this, the uh, Dark Angel, right? Sure. Um, so I was wondering if they would do that, if, if there would be some kind of, like, you know, whether they would end a straight-up cliffhanger or whether they would, you know, have some kind of resolution there at the end. And there was not really resolution at all. They they ended so how, how'd you feel smack in the middle of conflict, of expanding the story. I was pissed, man. I mean, I get it. I mean, Netflix is a great friend to genre television, you know, and, and they, you know, they pick up old shows. They are putting all kinds of content out there. So it's tough for me to really, you know, condemn Netflix. And I also understand that it's an expensive show to make, you know. The Wachowskis are, you know, they're they're obviously pulled down a pretty penny. You know, they're shooting all over the world and everything. There's huge casts and all kinds of extras. Clearly an extremely expensive show to make. So while on the one hand I get it, on the other hand... You know, it just really just it's 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 almost like a Sarah Connor Chronicles type chopping off at the knees there, you know, where the, the story is about to really get expanded and all of a sudden, you know, boom, that's it. You know? Yeah, well, that's too bad. I mean, I, I as I said, I, I didn't really get into it. I watched about maybe the first three episodes. And from things I've read, it it's pretty convoluted and you know not that that's necessarily a bad thing but but that you you know you you push away a significant number of of potential audience by doing a show like that and and of course the Wachowskis are known for you know producing those kinds of films yeah. and and it's no surprise that they, they carry that over to television but I've also read as I'm sure you have that that you know they're shopping it around they're hoping some network will pick it up so that they can continue but Again, it's as you point out, it's an expensive show to produce, so you never know. Maybe they can, you know, yeah, you never tone know. it down a bit. Maybe so. it was great. I, I really like Sensei. I just really enjoyed that show. Uh, you know, I, I, I've I've kind of given up on trying to to sell sell it to you, but maybe you'll find your way to it at some point. But uh, you know, I just really love how like you got these eight people and just really that strong bond. Yes, it's like this kind of supernatural bond, but it's really a a very human bond that they form between each other. And a lot of the best parts of this show aren't like these crazy supernatural forays. It's just these people dealing with regular everyday human type emotions. And I don't know, I liked it. Cool. All right. Well, the show that I'm going to talk just for a minute or so about is Miss 2059. And I think I mentioned it last week or the week before. And I've also mentioned the streaming service that it's on, and that's Verizon Go 90. And I'm telling you, have you signed up for it yet? I haven't yet. No. I mentioned it's free, right? Yeah, I know. I know. I just keep, it's like I keep forgetting. Like you need to send me an email reminder or something. Okay. All right. Well, maybe I need to send everybody an email reminder, uh, a Twitter post, a Facebook group post. So far, they don't have a ton of content. They have all five seasons of Fringe. They have both seasons of Terminator, Sarah Connor Chronicles. You know, they have Veronica Mars, all, I think it's four seasons of that. So, so they're adding content, but 
Miss 2059, and Michael and I are going to talk about this on the next Sci-Fi Fidelity because our, our topic uh, next month is going to be short form series. And Miss 2059, there are 12 episodes and they range anywhere from five to about 11 minutes in length. And it is, I, I thought it was great. I, I mean, it's sci-fi. The, the, uh, have I told you the premise before? You did, yeah. We talked about it last week. Okay. So, you know, it's out there. What I would do is check it out. I mean, come on, commit five minutes of your time to watching the first episode. If that doesn't get you, then, you know, what have you wasted except five minutes and a free account? And I don't think they ask you for anything more than an email address. Okay. Uh, they're in, in all 12 episodes. I think I saw maybe four commercials. Ooh. Most of the episodes didn't have a commercial. Some had like a 30 second. So okay. it's really a good service. Uh, you know, I've got it on my iPhone, on my iPad, and it also is for a PC as well. So cool. Miss 2059, check it out. Check it out. And uh, go and watch uh, Sense8. Maybe okay. Netflix will yep. have a change of heart. Yep. So let's talk about Dollhouse, season one, episode four, Gray Hour written by Sarah Fain and Elizabeth Kraft, who uh, they, they've been a writing team for a while. They wrote eight episodes of Angel for Joss Whedon. Uh, this one was directed by Rod Hardy, who has directed Leverage, X-Files, Battlestar Galactica. Nice. He also directed Librarians, episode 209, and The Happily Ever After. Yeah, which I, I went one. back and looked. Yeah, I went back and looked, and, and I guess we got behind or whatever because we did i think three episodes there to finish out season two and that was the middle one and right, then this well, because one aired season March- three was starting and, and we need to yeah we, we need, need to bit, step bit, it bit. up yep so march 6 2009 all right so first thing i want to bring up uh, are some guest stars Okay. One of which I know you know. Yeah. One of one of which you probably don't and the other one maybe. So which one do you think is which? Well, I mean clearly uh Tony Amendola is the one we know, right? Exactly. So he was the client and we only see him at the beginning yeah, of the episode. Yeah, what the hell, man? They use him for like he had maybe like 3 minutes of screen time. I know. So we know him as Edward Kagami from Continuum and also Geppetto from Once Upon a Time. Uh, okay i don't know that but i watched the first two seasons it was good i just you know ran out of time all right so the one you probably don't know liza lapira who plays ivy topher's uh, little playmate there okay right uh, like the intern or something like that right so uh she has appeared in con man but i know her as agent lee from ncis where she had a recurring role as uh you know one of the agent lee the uh yeah, exactly. One of the agents who, is she good? Is she bad? Oh, oh okay. she's bad. No, she's good. <laughs> so, all right. Now, the third one, Toby Leonard Moore, who plays Walton, one of, uh, you know, one of the thieves here. Now, I know him from the show Billions, which I've mentioned before as one of my non-genre shows. He plays Brian Connerty, who is uh, the, the, the right-hand man of the district attorney paul giamatti but you may know him i don't from daredevil oh now i don't know what he plays in daredevil but he um, is in daredevil all right hold on. I'm gonna check this out 
Now, of course, he looks about 10 years younger than, than uh, right. I, you know, from what I know him. But Toby Leonard Moore. As I recall, he did appear in, I think, all, I think yeah. there were 10 episodes of Daredevil. James Wesley. Yeah, I might have to go back and do a Daredevil rewatch because this is not. Yeah, just based on that. All right. I love it. It's not, so. uh, not ringing any bells here. As I'm looking at this picture, right. and everything. I don't even right. really well, remember about- which one he was. Is he the guy who gets shot or stabbed? Yes, he is the one that gets shot. Okay, I think he got shot. He got st- or shot or stabbed, but he's the one that helps Echo escape. Right. Or okay. All right. So some of my first thoughts. Obviously, this was a much better episode than last week's. Yes. One of the one of the best of the season so far, I think. But I think it was necessary that we are shown right off the bat a relatively safe engagement as Echo takes on that role as a midwife to deliver a baby. Because, you know, we we talk about all these engagements that we understand from a narrative storytelling perspective. You got to have those things where she's in physical and to a certain degree, uh, mental danger as well. But I, I did love the irony here, which is not lost on anybody that once wiped the actives are kind of like babies themselves. Right. It, what a change from the character she was playing before to, to the, the doll state, right? Sure. It's, yeah. it's like completely opposite. One of the other things that, that we learn is that DeWitt's superior is clearly not happy with how the Ballard situation is being handled and tells her apparently flat out he or she, because we, I don't think we really know whether it's male or female wants it ended now. So does that mean kill Paul Ballard? Certainly seems that way. And obviously that's right up Mr. Dominic's alley. Well, no, because they want to, they want to give him closure, right? Well, what's his closure that That the dollhouse really does not exist? That somehow he's able to let it go, right? That he, okay, like, so, you know, DeWitt's looking at it from like a narrative standpoint, right? So instead of, you know, killing an FBI guy, which could potentially bring some heat down on them, they they try to set up some scenario that, you know, I guess will make Ballard feel like either A, I've solved the case, or B, Okay, well, the dollhouse doesn't really exist. I, 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 you know, find some kind of proof of its non-existence. Which to prove a negative is one of the most difficult things there is to do. So I, I almost wonder what could they possibly show him that would convince him it does not exist. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. So that's why they got to kill him. I don't think they're going to kill All him. Right. I think they, okay. they just they, they, they were going to send him. Somehow they had something set up that would, like like I said, she just vaguely says closure, but uh, but he doesn't go for it though. You know, he just completely does not uh, do what they want him to do, and so. And three quarters of you guys out there said, "Come on, dudes, we all know what happens. Move on." Right. The other introduction is, is that whole concept of being your best which I don't think we really heard anybody. Maybe we heard Echo say it once before, but we see that little exchange between Echo and Sierra that, you know, I'm trying to be my best. Aren't you trying to be your best? And and it it certainly comes into play. And, and, and again, for those of you that have seen the entire series, it really is significant. So for you guys that, that this is your first watch, 
you know, hold on to that because it is important. And, and I don't think I'm spoiling anything by saying that at this point. No, no. And, and it's funny because you hear it so much throughout the, uh, the series that like you're, you're right. I can't remember whether we've heard it before this point or not. You know, because even every time I, I would have heard it, it would just be, oh, that they're talking about being the best again. Well, that that's going to happen a lot. You know, so right, which which we then I guess assume there's some sort of conditioning taking place behind the scenes. I mean, we talked about the fact that that the actors, I mean, they're wiped, but it's the engagement that they've just returned from that is wiped. I mean, they have a basic operating system, right? Certainly enough that they can be conditioned to act a certain way, and and. Uh, obviously that whole idea, that desire to do whatever it takes, because we certainly see them working out a lot and we certainly see them eating uh, certainly more nutritionally than I eat. Mm-hmm. Although I guess I'm not that, I guess I'm not that bad, right. but, but yes, they uh, now, eat very healthy food. It looks Yes. Like. Now I love the bait and switch as we feel for echo being sent in again as the party girl. She's physically beaten, terrified, pleading for help, only to find out that it's basically an Ocean's Eleven-style caper. Right. And it turns out that she's actually in charge of the op. Exactly. And you know, and I, it's been long enough that I didn't really remember that. So I didn't either. When I first, she first comes out, I'm all righteous indignation. You know, I'm like... Oh, here it is. The dollhouse is exactly what I'm talking about. How immoral and unethical they are. They send her on these operations and she's being abused and potentially raped and beaten. And this is horrible. And how can they do this to another human being? And it turns out it's all just an act. Yeah. I mean, as soon as she knocks out that uh, hotel uh, employee and then it's like, okay, I'm in. Right. <laughs> like, wow. Like, oops. Hey. I, but, you know, to be honest, I still didn't remember all the details even at that point. I mean, clearly she's fine that this is part of the operation, but still. Yeah. I remember that they got locked up. I couldn't remember how it happened. Yeah. Now, the other thing that we've certainly got to consider, and we, we don't have any answers at this point is whether or not echo has suffered any permanent brain damage as a result of what happens in this episode. And of course we'll get to that in a few minutes because this is really the, uncharted territory not only for us the viewer but but apparently for the dollhouse as well because dewitt's pretty freaked out to say that topher's freaked out i i don't know if anything freaks him out for more than a few minutes he's pretty freaked out about this though well but he's already it's like not my fault right which is kind of his mantra at this point exactly right well and that's you know we've seen with him he's he's you know consequence free right yeah. He's all like a kid playing with his toys and the the consequences he just kind of backs up throws up his hands and says, "Hey, it's, you know, I didn't do this, it's not my fault." Right? He says that a number of times. Right? Well, which is interesting because at the end of the day, that's what a lot of these engagements really end up being, the these experiences that we wouldn't ordinarily be able to experience without consequences and yet here there are no consequences. Right? Which is I guess part of the attraction for the the wealthy that, that can afford that. So, all right. Well, I love the engagement. Steal a piece of the Parthenon. <laughs> now. Yeah. Like the one guy's that, like, isn't that kind of big? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was a great line. 
Yeah. And, and, you know, you do wonder, okay, what are they exactly going to steal? I mean, is it going to be a statue? Is it going to be a column? But, but again, I guess even as small as that piece seemed to be, I guess that's still pretty cool. But even before we get to that, Topher's concerned that Sierra, Victor, and Echo are grouping. Right. And I, well, I know I Topher's I'm... concerned about it. Uh, Boyd seems more concerned about it. And, you know, uh, Topher seems kind of fascinated by it. Well, I mean, man, friend, I think what <laughs> you have to look at here, I think this was the first time we heard I think, that. I think so, too. We, he called him something before. Like, he called him friend of me before, right, I think. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, clearly the actors eat, work out, and play together. So I'm not sure. Now, now you point out that it too. is Boyd that, that – yeah, and shower together. Boyd brings that up. And, but, but Topher, I mean, okay, maybe concerned is not the right word, but – he doesn't necessarily just blow it off. I mean, we haven't seen any group engagements. So is it that he's worried if multiple actives are on the same engagement that, you know, somehow they'll, their emotional attachment will cause them to not follow protocol. I mean, I don't know. I mean, what difference should it make? No, it doesn't make any difference really. Uh, According to Topher, it's just, he sees it as this kind of fascinating phenomenon and, you know, like, I don't, I don't say he's completely unconcerned about it, but he thinks it's just, it doesn't really matter because, again, once they put an active into into him, everything before is out the window. So who cares what they're like here, really, you know? All that matters is, you know, what they, when they get out there in the real world that they are able to, you know, uh, perform as they are programmed to. Right now, we haven't really had multiple active engagements other than stage fright where uh, Sierra was sent in as her number one fan. Because in the previous episode, Sierra was sent in because the plan went to hell and, and she had to come in and rescue her. But I mean, it was certainly, look, if nothing else, some guy hires two girls because he wants a threesome. So, I mean, we certainly know that the dollhouse will accommodate somebody that wants something like that. But but you wonder for a, a, a more complex engagement, is this something that, that we'll, we'll hear about down the road? Now, I love the whole idea of the gray hour for a show title. We haven't really talked a whole lot about show titles for dollhouse, but, but that whole gray hour as being that one hour that they've got in which the vault that they're trying to break into is vulnerable. Now, the reality is that seems like an awfully long time yeah. that a well, vault that houses. <laughs> I, I looked know. up the term gray hour and the, you know, everything that came up with it was, you know, dollhouse. dollhouse. Yeah. So it's not like a thing. Yeah. Obviously for a place that has stuff they want to be very secure um, to have your security completely shut down for a whole hour is that seems like not a great idea. Right. But I'll suspend my disbelief for-, for That's what we have yeah. to do. Exactly. 43 minutes. But again, it's it's always engaging. And we certainly seem to, and I think this is uh, sci-fi in general these days, the idea that a, a powerful, capable female is taking charge of, of whatever's going on. And here- We've got Taffy, I love the name, and and that she's in charge of this op. 
ordinarily, uh, obviously this would be a traditional male role. And I think the fact that she is in charge just kind of adds to the drama because while the men aren't, you know, I mean, I don't think she's any in danger of of being pushed aside, but, but they do question whether or not she should be in charge of this op. And, you know, I, I would certainly venture a guess primarily it's because of what she looks like, you know? Yeah. You think she's too too beautiful to be in charge? Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I think that's what they think. Right. I mean, these are not the, you know, the, now again, to pull off a caper of this magnitude, you have to be smart. And, and obviously the best criminals, I, I know that's probably not something we should pair, but, but the most successful criminals are probably the smartest and most intelligent. Sure. So, you get the idea that while these guys are certainly intelligent to a certain extent, they're, you know, they're, they're still probably a little bit backward thinking on a lot of things, but regardless, they, they go with it. She's also the safe cracker on this engagement and she does her thing and, and gets in this safe that seems incredibly difficult to get into, but doesn't take her long. No problem. But I didn't see the, art expert going rogue and taking the piece and thinking he could get away with it. I mean, he he does have the foresight to lock them in the vault. Right. So I, I guess he's, he would have no way of knowing that Boyd is on the other side, obviously. Uh, yeah, right. But you know, yeah, it just seems like, uh, again, maybe a bit, far-fetched that he would be able to just you know run off with one of the elgin marbles tucked under his arm and you know expect to you know make his getaway uh right because tony amandola is the only one that knows the dollhouse is involved in this right 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 he put the team together yes i'm sure he did not tell them that taffy right oh yeah obviously not he didn't because then right they would have some understanding of what happens to her right but when yeah. she gets wiped, they they are completely they just think she's going crazy or something, right? But I think the biggest question, though, and I really didn't think about it the first time I watched this, back whenever it was that I watched it originally, is this all Alpha's doing? Is he in, responsible for the engagement going awry? Well, I mean, it, did he somehow, you know, put this guy up to it, the art expert that leaves them at risk? Yeah, well, the answer would be yes, because <laughs> that's what okay. uh, DeWitt tells us at the end, right? That is Alpha. Well, she says Alpha's out there, but I don't know that she necessarily. Well, I, you know, well, but he's. We'll get to that. As Topher said, the only person I know who could do this is dead. He's clearly talking white. about Alpha because he, at that right. point, he thinks Alpha's dead. Right, um, and then when he finds out that Alpha is not dead, now he's scared. Right. And, and this is the point at, at which, and we're only about maybe a third of the way through the episode, she calls Boyd for help. And it's at this point that we hear the audio, which reminded me of an old modem connecting, right. you know, like back when you had yes. AOL or uh-huh. whatever. And clearly that's how he executes the remote wipe. And, and, and again, like you said, uh, DeWitt certainly feels Alpha's the only one, which then begs the question, and we'll get to it, what the hell is Alpha? What did they create? Right. And for what reason? It's a pretty, pretty badass dude, it seems like. Yeah, but 
because of the remote wipe, Taffy's now back to the doll state, which confounds the other crew members. And while we understand, Boyd understands, I don't know what the hell they're thinking. And and in a way, you almost feel sorry for them because, I mean, they're trapped. They don't, what the hell happened to this girl that right. two seconds ago was in charge and well, we like, were so, confident. Like super was, in charge, like super yeah. confident, bossing people around. She's arrogant, you know, everything. She's, you know, flamboyant. And then she goes from this super alpha personality to, you know, hugging her knees and, and has no concept of anything that's going on. But it, it also comes up that the idea of a remote wipe had been considered, but thought impossible. And again, I'm wondering, is this just another example of Topher's hubris as the world of the dollhouse seems to be crumbling a little bit? I mean, there are cracks in the foundation here. Sure. Oh, absolutely. And, and Topher, again, his... His response is, well, that didn't happen because that can't happen. You know, it's like, well, no, you, you think it can't happen, Topher, but clearly it happened, you know? So um, you obviously, like, again, he does not have the control over this whole thing as he thinks. You know, it's like chaos theory in Jurassic Park, you know? Like, you, you can't control everything. You know, the bad thing's going to seep through. Yeah. Oh, no question. And, you know, I, I think for Topher, you wonder how long this attitude can hold up. I mean, at some point, I mean, he is brilliant. There's no question. But isn't he brilliant enough to at some point have to acknowledge that I don't know everything? Right. Which is kind of what I like about the scene and the interaction with Ivy, his personal assistant, because, I mean, it's not that we needed it, but Topher's childlike persona really manifests itself in, in this scene. He starts ticking off the list of items he wants her to obtain for him. And, and the last one, a juice box. <laughs> and I mean, what's more childlike than a juice box? Right, right. Exactly. And, you know, set against the doll state of, of all these individuals that he's working with. I mean, there's a certain harmony and, and maybe even understanding that yeah, I, I just kind of struck me watching this scene. What do you mean by that harmony? Well, I mean th- this childlike. Oh, oh, like uh, oh, to- like it's Topher. kind of like yeah, 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 like similar the very similar like the similarities with the dolls. Yeah, yeah, yeah but but I mean, then what strikes me further? How can his manner not cause trepidation in everybody above him? I mean, how is it that? that uh, Adele is not freaking out that her tech guy, I mean, I guess she lives with yeah. his genius, right? You take the good with the bad. Well, ex- exactly. I, the, exactly. The, he's got quirks. He's, you know, um, and, but he's, yeah, the, he's a genius. Uh, he's super good at what he does. No one else can do this except for Alpha, apparently. And, and he gets all murdery. Yeah. So, you know, he's not a good candidate right. for the and, job. And, uh, so it's, yeah, so it's, it's, I think they, they see his quirks as just that. And, uh, it's, you know, not, not, no biggie. Right. And as we point out, as the, uh, engagement unravels, he's quick to point out that it's not his fault just as a child would do, but he also starts exhibiting a bit of paranoia that somebody's after his job 
And then he drops the episode's bombshell, which we've mentioned a couple times, that only one person could achieve a remote wipe and he's dead. As you said, the assumption must be that Alpha was or is a doll, but it remains unexplained how he'd be able to execute something that even Topher can't do, which then takes us back to what the hell did they create? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And why? Right. Well, you know, like they... The, Topher had talked before about how some of the earlier models of dolls, you know, they, you know, went wrong. Right. Right. Now we do have to go back because we, we have heard that the assumption is that Alpha's able to resurrect components of past engagements that he's been on and that he's able to take uh, this skill from this engagement and that skill from that engagement and somehow put them all together. So is he able to do that consciously or is it just happening and he's dealing with it? We don't know that yet, but of course that's part of the, the beauty here is that we really don't know right what has happened to alpha. But you know, he, he is, I mean, again, he's, He's obviously formidable. Uh, this is the second time he's been suspected of cracking into uh, in the dollhouse and, um, you know, causing them alarm. Almost, you know, again, both times it's it's been Echo who has been almost the victim of his interference. But we also see that he's, you know, able to like almost be a step ahead of the dollhouse. Yeah, true. Right. And and given that it seems clear that he probably was a doll. I mean, the fact that he's referred to as Alpha and we see all of these other ones have, you know, these these military right. uh names for the military alphabet, which at least it's what I assume is the case, but well yeah, Victor, Sierra, right. Echo. Yeah. But, you know, we we Go back to the first episode when Boyd asks Topher, well, why didn't you just imprint them with defensive skills so that they wouldn't be mowed down like this? And, and you know, I think you were the one who pointed out that, well, we did that and it didn't end well there either. So what we find out here, though, is that as Topher explains it, when, when they're in the doll state, the slightest conflict shows how vulnerable they really are because at the dollhouse, they keep everything calm and peaceful. And in this case, he I think he refers to his extreme sensory overload so that out in the real world, they can't really function in the doll state. So seeing Echo as she is, is, is pretty frightening, not, not only for her, but for us as well. Right. And he, he says they're like, you know, babies. Yeah. And that, in the dollhouse, they have a controlled environment where there's no conflict and everything's okay. But then he says out there, it's all fluorescent lights and forceps. Yes. <laughs> that, uh, you know, so they, uh, they're, yeah, completely unable to deal with the, you know, the, the conflict and, and the, the just overall badness that exists in the real world. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's funny that you mentioned badness in the real world. I love the fact that, you know, Dominic refers to what they've got going on here as a felony engagement <laughs> so that you need to commit a crime. Come to the dollhouse. We'll help you out. Right. 
But yeah. but then right on the heels of that, Topher points out that somebody out there figured out our frequency. It would have to be somebody that worked inside the dollhouse, you would think. And it's also about this time that Topher established that this isn't some lone gunman, but a full-on conspiracy. So, I, you know, as we get out of this episode, well, is it Alpha? Is he working alone? Is Alpha part of a larger conspiracy? If he is, with whom? We don't know. We don't know, right. But, you know, we certainly are left with a lot to go into the next episode with. Now, once again, Sierra's enlisted to save the day, but this time Taffy is reprinted onto her, which I think is the first time we've seen that. And then Sierra, who is actually now Taffy, tries to talk Echo through the procedure that will enable them to get out of the locked vault. I don't want to say she almost succeeds, but it seemed doomed from the beginning. Yeah, it seemed like it was really a uh, you know swinging for the fences type thing to go with a, uh, a Orioles metaphor that's worked well over the last couple of days. Yes, it has. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, you know, and it doesn't work out. And it's funny because you know when they're you know again they're in the role, they're in the active. She asks to see the money, and uh, and Dewitt tells Dominic to go get the money. And you can like, I think he even rolls his eyes like as he's leaving. Like you got to be kidding me, because yeah, all right, we'll show you the money now. You're never going to get the money because as soon as this is done, you're going to go get wiped, you know, and everything. So, um, but it's the the whole role, and you know, and the acting here. Uh, with uh, Deachin Lockman and uh, Alicia Dushku, you know, where they can go from that doll state to someone like Taffy to, you know, last week we saw the the, the singer and the fan and, and uh, you know, it's like, you know, well, well, you know good, good strong work there, you know. And, and certainly we've talked about Eliza Dushku's acting and, and you know, you mentioned Deachin Lockman, who's really the only other active that we've seen uh, other than than Luboff aka Victor and but when you look at Olivia Williams who plays Adele DeWitt who who is I mean the British accent just adds to not only the mystery but the sophistication yet yeah, it makes her that slightly higher too yet look at what she's in charge of here which again is at best more <laughs> morally reprehensible yeah, corrupt yeah <laughs> at best um, well and it's good that you said in charge because as we found out she's not in charge well right well i mean there's someone on this there's someone above her even yeah and, and then you know you've mentioned reed diamond who, who plays mr dominic again it's just each actor ha- has just been perfect I, I i don't see how you could choose any better right Right. Now, uh, you know, we, we talked earlier about that idea of being your best, and, and throughout Echo's traumatic experience, she utters a number of significant concepts, one of which is, I try to be my best, which I guess is kind of the mantra of the dollhouse, but she remembers that when she's there, I'm called something else. And, you know, this is one of those first times that should she have that memory if she's been wiped? Now, I guess you could argue, well, it was a remote wipe. It's perhaps not as effective as when Topher does it in the chair, which makes sense. Mm-hmm. But do other dolls make these same connections or is this just a result of extreme circumstance? 
Uh, yeah, and we, we don't really have an answer to that right now. Um, and my own theory would be that, you know, again, that the, that the human mind is so complex that, you know, like, like I, th- I would say all the dolls have some residual memories that, you know, Topher just can't truly erase everything. So there's stuff left over. Right. Well, and no matter what he does, you know, there's, there's no way he can, you know, completely wipe a person's mind and memories. Okay. Now, you know, you mentioned, you know, artifacts left behind and this next scene, I'm still a little confused and I meant to go back and look at it again. So hopefully you can help me out. We're in the middle of the firefight, you know, as as they're trapped in the vault, right? Uh, The guards have, have breached the vault and one of the partners threatens to shoot echo yes doesn't she stab him in the neck with something yeah okay so the guy who who gets uh stabbed your your boy from billions right um has a syringe that he's gonna kill himself with okay apparently and then the the mean guy the mean slappy guy comes around and, and takes it and says oh no you're not getting the easy way out and so somehow that syringe is on the floor that she grabs that syringe and she stabs the uh, the slappy guy in the neck with it. Okay. Why does she have the wherewithal to do that if she's been wiped? Where does that come uh, well, from? Well, well, good. Yeah, right. Good question. Um, yeah, because I guess there are still some you know instincts that are at play there. I, yeah. I would I would guess because well, you know, that the instinct for survival. Um, you know, because she saw, you know, the guy was about to, you know, shoot himself up with this, this, whatever is in, in the syringe, uh, that, you know, that happened after her wipe. So, you know, that, that memory wasn't wiped. Okay. And and we assume that was left from Taffy as opposed to Miss Penn, who, you know, certainly didn't seem to be imprinted with any defensive skills. Or it could be Carolyn. Well, or it could be Carolyn. Exactly. Now, perhaps the thing that that caught me off guard the most in this episode, because even though it's been percolating on the surface throughout the first three, that Dominic is finally given the termination green light right. to take out Echo uh-huh. was kind of surprising. I mean, look, we know Eliza Dushku is not going to die, but the fact that he's given that by DeWitt. Wow. Yeah. You almost want him to like clap his hands and say, hot damn. Well, but <laughs> why terminate her if Alpha's the problem? Well, because they can't let her be taken into custody. Like well, the, because they're going to get arrested. Well, true. Police, uh, okay. the police are showing up. They're going to arrest them. Um, they can't have her talking to the police, you know, cause, uh, you know, again, like it, it's just could be conceivably very messy. It, it could be absolutely. Now you wonder how far the dollhouse's influence extends. I mean, you, you certainly get the sure. idea that that men and women of influence come to the dollhouse and, and that carefully placed call to somebody high up in the police force. But still, as you said, they they really don't want things to get that messy. That they've got to really you know, call in a favor. Right. But, but yeah, you're right. You certainly get the feeling that if they needed to call in that favor, that they have plenty of resources to 
of people to call. Yeah, one one would think because uh, we certainly just look at what they've been doing with Ballard, and you have to believe that they've got somebody on the inside, at least to a certain extent. But right. perhaps the most revealing aspect for me revolves around the purpose of art and how Echo interprets it. That, uh, you know, the, the wounded sympathetic partner, or the guy, you know, my guy from Billions tells Echo, art is to show us who we are. And, and she's wa- looking at that cubist portrait and notes that this one's broken you know, I, I think what they want us to consider is the fragmented personality we see evolving in Echo, that, that yeah. she's not simply a doll that gets wiped after each engagement and starts with a clean slate, that, that her slate's getting dirty and things are piling up. And, you know, what that's going to lead to, we don't know at this point. Well, in the, and that's like how cubism is kind of is being to show reality from multiple different angles. And, and like the guy says, as you know, the, the world as it feels, not the world as it looks, you know? Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's definitely an appropriate uh, painting to, for her to, to stand as a metaphor for herself. Yeah. And, and then when Boyd comes in and rescues her, the first thing she tells him is that I'm not broken. Right. Which, why would she say that about herself? I mean, that that displays a certain analytic ability, a self-reflection, if you will, that, uh-huh. that she shouldn't have. Well, but again, like how much is, does Topher leave behind, you know, when, when they wipe them? Like they, maybe they wipe their memories and stuff, but what does he leave there? He certainly left, I mean, she's able to, to deal honestly like Topher thinks she's just a baby and is just going to be completely scared. But I mean, she rallies, right? She, she pulls herself through. She kills a guy, she escapes and she, uh, she brings the other guy with her. Yeah, no question. I mean, so she is anything but broken or is she within the context of the dollhouse? She is broken. You know, I mean, for what they intend her to be, from our perspective, you know, looking from the outside, uh, yeah, she's she's not. Now, Topher assures DeWitt that Echo is clean, but I'm not sure that anyone except Topher really believes that. Because I know well, yeah. I don't believe it. <laughs> well, we definitely don't believe it because we see her at the end with the mirror. She kind of draws the the picture almost, you know, in the mirror, like half her face. And this is just the latest in a number of pieces of evidence to demonstrate to us unequivocally that uh, you know there's there's stuff that Topher's not wiping. I'm not saying that purposefully, but he, you know he's not getting everything. Right. There's, there's residual stuff there that's building up. Right. And and at this point, you know, we, we get a little more clarification about Alpha. Turns out he was given. I think they even used the word Superman like skills. Everybody knows he's going to be difficult to bring in, but you know, again, like like I've said a couple of times, why, how? Uh, I guess that's the uh, the million dollar question. Now we don't see a lot of Ballard in this episode, which is kind of disappointing. But again, we we will see more of Paul Ballard in uh, forthcoming episodes. He's sure. well, and there's so much. Like I mean, this was really centered on Echo. 
on the the nature of of the you know the the active to the doll state and everything that they just didn't really have time to to go watch with Ballard's story. Right. And, you know, he's home after the shooting. It's it's fairly obvious we're supposed to notice the pills that he's taking for the pain. Luboff is waiting for him in the apartment. But like a good stoic character, he's like he picks the bottle up and puts it down. Yeah. But I'll just soldier through it. And he asks Ballard to place him in witness protection. And and Ballard has doubts about Luboff, just not the doubts that he, I guess, should have. But I think this also might be the first time we've heard Ballard referred to as FBI because we've also we've talked about what agency he works for. You know, uh, it, I don't think it's the first time. I is think it okay? Somewhere, I think somewhere. I'm not sure exactly where. You, it's quite possible you're right, but I just feel like they they mentioned FBI earlier somewhere. Okay, and I'm not sure if they mentioned location because we kind of get established that we're in Los Angeles at this point because he tells Luboff not to leave L.A. Right. All right. Well, we get to the closing scene and and, uh, Topher's been brought into DeWitt's office and he assumes he's going to be fired. And again, I love the the bait and switch here because that's certainly what I thought. But instead, he's having a security clearance upgraded. And And it goes back to we don't know Topher's role in the genesis of the dollhouse. I mean, did he literally invent this technology or is he simply perfecting it? We don't know. True. But she tells him that she'll fill him in on Alpha so that he can stop him. That seems an act of desperation on her end because, again, while Topher is really good at what he does, is this what he does? You know, bring in people like Alpha. Well, no, I don't. I don't think so because he's he's scared. You know, so she's uh, that she's that desperate. I guess. Yes, absolutely. She's that desperate. And then after that scene, we just go back and the final minute we see Echo swimming laps in the pool, takes a shower, reintegrates into her safe, secure world of the dollhouse. It's also that bit that we see in the opening credits where she's like sitting on the the bottom of the pool. Oh, right. I forgot about that. Legs drawn up to her. And that's like the same position she was sitting in when she got remotely wiped. Oh, you're right. Nice, nice bookend. Yeah, thank you. Oh. Now, the other thing I thought of, and I guess we'll have to maybe talk about this in the future, but the whole idea of the name of Echo, which, you know, if, if you look up the definition, a close parallel, repetition of an idea, a copy of something unoriginal, and, and then, you know, they start talking about alpha. So I, I'm looking up things and then you get the whole idea of the alpha and the omega and religious connections so right well you also got the original greek myth of echo which was a a girl who i believe she was pining for apollo uh so much she just she kind of uh withered away and ended up like the only thing that was left was her voice right so you know there's that bit of like that of of the person being reduced to nothing or a whisper or wind or or just a, a sound you know what's that oh I, I think i hear joss don't waste your time guys <laughs> <laughs> is that what he said yeah, yeah i don't so uh I, you He's know like, I, too I'm far going, you've gone too far all right now i, I can <laughs> let's pull it back i think i think i can guess what grade you're going to give this i think you're going to give it an a minus 
Uh, I actually gave it a solid A. Okay, good. Because so did I. I know you're loath to award solid A's at times, but this one definitely. Yeah, you're right. It it had everything. I was just feeling generous, I think. Yeah. So uh, anything you want to bring up that uh, we haven't talked about with this one? Well, I, I mean, just the thing, you know, when DeWitt, with Ballard, and, you know, DeWitt says, we're experts at giving people what they need, and, and saying that he needs closure, uh, um, Victor, or whatever the, you know, his character is, you know, sends him, like, he, you know, like, he, right? He sends him, like, he's supposed to go, he's got another lead for him, right? Right. That, uh, apparently, if Ballard follows this lead, that this will be the, you know, the closure, and whatever that is, we don't know. But he doesn't follow the lead. In fact, he goes and says, "Well, I've just, you know, put you up on every, you know, on every police bulletin and every airport and every police station in California. So don't bother leaving." And and you know, Victor's just like, "Were you kidding me?" And uh, you can almost see Dewitt say that too, like, "Ah, oh, come on, man." Yeah, yeah. So Ballard will not go down easily. Well, hopefully we'll see some more of Paul Ballard next week. Uh, I, again, it's been so long for me. I, I, you know, Once I start watching the episodes, it, most of it comes back to me, uh, as right. I'm sure it, it, with you. But right now, I don't, I don't know. I don't remember what True Believer's about, which is our next yep. episode. So. Oh, oh, I do. Okay, well, yeah, keep, yeah, keep yeah, it to yourself. So. It's good. That's a good one. This is a really good one. All right. All right, well. I, I guess that'll do it for us on this one. Want to thank you guys for joining us tonight. We'd love to hear from you about what you think about Dollhouse, anything else in genre television. There's certainly a lot out there. Encourage you to join the Facebook group, share your thoughts with the Sci-Fi TV Rewatch community. And if you're already a member, spread the word. Emails to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch at gmail.com. Voicemails via the SpeakPipe tab, which you can access through the website. And we'll be back next week to talk about Dollhouse Episode 5 of Season 1, titled True Believer. But until then... Hey, Dave, when this is over, feel free to forget I exist. I already did. <laughs>